Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Q. I'm your host, James McNeil. Uh, we have a very cool show. I hope everybody is doing well, keep it safe out there, maybe have some good plans on the docket now that things are starting to uh, get warmer out there. The, the summer is upon us. Uh, know it's already about 100 degrees here in the Texas area, and hopefully all of you are able to do some stuff outside of the home with your family instead of just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix, which has been the most limiting thing we've been able to do <laughs> and keep our minds busy at this time. So hopefully you've got some plans coming up, some outs- outdoors and gets a little bit of sun. This show today was in a, a really cool show, especially for anybody who's interested in money, <laughs> which as far as the world goes, uh, does kind of revolve around. But uh, we had a one of our uh, great financial planner guests. His name's Steve Anchorstar. He is a certified financial planner of Afterburner Financial. And he has actually got an interesting story. He's got a lot of background within the finance space and provided a lot of information about not only uh, the dips and falls within the market over the course of 2020, but also just uh, the general philosophy and how things have kind of projected and basically uh, occurred over the past 10 or so years uh, since the 2008 financial housing crisis. But with all that said, he does have an interesting background. He kind of took a detour in the finance space uh, after he watched a, a little movie called Top Gun and uh, became interested in becoming a fighter pilot, which he did join the military and worked and was in the military for over, served for over 20 years. Uh, so very interesting background. I know you will enjoy the conversation. And like I said, if there's any interest in there uh, with the um, with the money or growing your wealth, uh, this will be a podcast for you. And we do discuss some of the digital marketing sector as well and kind of where we're uh, where we're headed. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. This is uh, Steve Anchorstar with Afterburner Financial, and you're in the queue. Thanks, Steve, for joining us here on the queue. Uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time. I know that, you know, this is change the pandemic and the shelter in place has changed a lot for us and your workload's probably different, but you're unique in that you have been uh, working from home and also have been working with people remotely for years now. So how, how has this changed your uh, your work process um, on the on the finance side? Yeah, well, I appreciate that, uh, that question. I, thanks for having me on as well. Uh, to talk for a few minutes about some of this sort of stuff. And from having worked from home for six years now, it isn't as big a change for me, but it's nice that now when I talk to clients and I say, hey, do you want to do a Zoom call? Uh, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I think uh, it's when I made the decision starting my own business back in, in 2013 uh, to not have a brick and mortar office and actually do things from my home office 100% of the time, there was some risk there, and I did not know if it was going to work or not. Um, but I'm glad I did, and I think now that this kind of brings everybody else up to where I was, you know, mentally as far as yeah, it is fine to work from home. There are some challenges with you know separate, geographic separation from the family, 
you know, just to kind of get a room to be able to be sequestered away. Or, of course, you know, barking dogs and other things that can be going on can be a distraction. But for the most part, I think it's, it's working pretty well uh, as people make the adjustment. So it's been, it's been an interesting time for sure. Yeah, you you mentioned that you know Zoom was a thing. You're you're a Zoom pro expert, and then uh, you know I think with with dogs barking in the background or like kids maybe running in, that might have been a thing or a little taboo uh, three months ago, four months ago. But now it's everybody's dealt with it and everybody understands it. So that's not even I don't know. I, I would have to imagine your clients are uh, who, who you've already worked with in the past are probably already used to this structure a bit, but also they're getting used to this process that you've been dealing with for six years. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's brings kind of a, a human piece to it too as well when you're not necessarily all dressed up all the time uh, every time you see a client and uh, there's not the formality of sitting around a table. It does bring the human aspect in when, when uh, one of the kids comes walking in and does the from off screen. It's like, hey, you know, welcome. Yep, that's my daughter. Yep, go away, please. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. We saw we saw that in the NFL draft when they had that too. I thought the NFL draft was priceless, and it worked right. Uh, and you know, who uh, was it? Jerry Jones was on the yacht. So you know, <laughs> yep. up, you know, you do you right, uh, whatever works for you. Uh, but yeah, having dogs up in the chair, I think that brought a, a really fun piece to it, and kind of an otherwise negative time. You know, as everybody's sitting at home trying to rethink things about the virus. Yeah, it was interesting to watch. And I think we're, we're all accustomed to it now. And, and society has changed. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is go back into your past a little bit. Uh, you've, you've been a financial planner um, and somebody who works with people for the past six years, but you, you've been doing this, I mean, a long time. Um, what really, I mean, I do want to go into your military background as well, but please go into discussing kind of how you, you kind of gained some interest in this in the first place, but then maybe took a detour along the way. Well, you bet. Uh, I will say that uh, the showing my age here a little bit, I'm a little over 50. So for your listeners that are on the, uh, in that particular era, you will remember the, when we were kids, we had a show called Family Ties. And it was Michael Fox, uh, Alex P. Keaton. And I watched that as a kid growing up, and I really kind of idolized him carrying a briefcase around and reading the Wall Street Journal in high school. And it was fun. And I always pictured myself as going into investing and getting into the markets. And that was just something I was interested in. And I did have my eighth grade math teacher sat down. It's funny, he was a math teacher, but he also sold insurance on the side. So he kind of had a, competing agenda, if you will. But he showed me the compound interest chart and you know, he was, he was, gosh, he was what seemed like forever old to me at the time. He was almost 80. And he showed me this chart and he's like, now, Steve, if you just put away $300 a month and you start now and you're going to have 10 million when you're, when you're my age. And it was like, all right, I'm listening, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that easy. It is. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I can do that. That certainly intrigued me. So that was kind of my initial interest. And I've always liked math. So it was kind of a fun um, fun way to picture myself and in getting into that as a career. And then uh, in junior year in high school, I saw I went to a movie with my best friend that basically changed my life and came home from that movie and completely revectored into into something else there. So I had to put my financial planner slash investment manager dreams on hold uh, to pursue another dream for a while. To see what, if I what, uh, what movie was that? 
Well, you might be able to guess from the airplanes above, uh, it was Top Gun, one of the one of the cheesiest movies of all time. But when at the time, if you watch it now, it's almost like unwatchable. It's so cheesy. Yeah. But back in the day, uh, the graphics and you know it was really just a great movie for that particular time, being the the late '80s. Uh, the right amount of cheese, the right you know love story and fast jets and motorcycles and really appealing to everybody. And of course, you know, Top, Top Gun 2 is coming out uh, in uh, got moved to December for the release. But yeah, I saw I walked out of Top Gun with my best friend, Mike, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. And, and uh, he chuckled and I told my parents, I think they chuckled too, and said, let's have a backup plan. But I really did. I spent the rest of my uh, high school years and college years really kind of focused on what I needed to do to be eligible to go in and hopefully get picked to be able to not only fly but fly fighter jets and i was able to i managed to get through all those hoops and and actually get to my dream so that's awesome so how many years were you were you in the military i served a a full 20 and just a few days later as much as it took to to out process the military (laughs) is is amazing it's not for everybody so and i'm and i'm no recruiter but if you are a young person looking to get into a, a tech field or looking to see the world or looking to just kind of escape small town America. It's certainly a great opportunity. Uh, I went in, they gave me a scholarship for college. So that was kind of primary why I was like, okay, well, if you pay for college, I'll certainly serve uh, for four years. And then of course I was trying to get into an airplane uh, that whole time. But uh, after in the military for a while, the demands, uh, I do like that, you know, people always say, thank you for your service. And I always say, well, it was my honor because I got to do one of the best jobs in the military or even out of the military. It's one of the best jobs ever, mm-hmm. but his service. And honestly, it's, it's generally the uh, service member that doesn't pay the price. It's the families. So while I was off flying air shows and being deployed to the Middle East and over Iraq and on the ground in Afghanistan, my wife and kids are sitting at home having to, to kind of deal with that, which can be, can be kind of tough. You know, same situation now if, if you know, with the COVID-19 thing, and you have a healthcare worker in your family, you know, the healthcare worker goes out and does the risks, they execute the mission. And it's the family that sits home and kind of worries about how, how's mom or dad, you know, doing today? And are they going to catch this nasty virus? Right. So, right. Yeah. It makes, years, I was done. <laughs> no, I, it's, 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 it's so um, hard to describe uh, that to someone who's not had a family member in the military. And, and I have a, I have a brother who was a Marine uh, for four years, obviously overseas. And it really is, um, a matter of, of the family serving. I mean, that's, it's, um, uh, you know, you'd say, thank you for your sir- service. Um, and obviously you, you, you think it's, it's a huge honor, but you know, you should also say that to the family members because they are also putting in a lot of sacrifice. Um, and it, it mentally, it can be exhausting. I, and, and that yeah, I can just imagine, um, and uh, with your kids, how old are they now? They are 15 and 12. Uh, and a quick side note on my youngest, one of the reasons I uh, retired is I was over in the Middle East and in a country called Qatar, looks like Qatar on paper, but Qatar is how it's pronounced, mm-hmm. in the Persian Gulf. And I was over there for a year and I got to come home every three months or so. But I would log into Skype back then, I remember that, and uh, watch my daughter just like play with her toys on the floor. You know, it was just, you know, that's my daddy time, right? So after work, working for the day, you know, kind of log in and see what she's up to. And she was playing uh, one time and she looked up and said, you know, 
I don't even really remember what you looked like anymore. Oh. It's like, well, that's, that's, that was a, that was a tough one. It's like, I think I'm going to go ahead and hang up the cleats and, and come on home and be a dad and start my second career at that point. Oh man. Yeah. So having kids run into your office for these past six years is just a joy. <laughs> yes, it really is. And we, you know, that was part of the decision to work from home and we live within walking distance of the elementary school. So that was nice. I would walk them there and back every day. Uh, just fun dad stuff that I had never really gotten to do and it made it all made it all worthwhile. So I do think that, you know, one of the side benefits of the work from home environment that was forced upon us, but I do think it may continue, is that a little bit closer connection with the family. You know, that can work against you. You know, it can also be a little too much exposure if uh, if there's tension in the air. But for the most part, uh, yeah, around the around the family all the time, and it's a great it's a great opportunity. Uh, you're completely right. I think with communication and just the togetherness that we've been able to get, I know lately it's been hard watching the news and and everything that's going on, especially with um, Black Lives Matter and what everything happened with George Floyd. And that's uh, it's it's very uh, a sensitive subject, but it's something that needs to be discussed. And and I think because we all are in quarantine, we're having those discussions more. You know, it's it's something that we're able to do rather than just go about our busy lives, uh, which might have had a little bit more impact within um, a lot of the protests this past weekend and all that. Um, obviously, we're recording this, I think, was it, June 4th? So this just all happened. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, you're right. You're communicating a lot more um, effectively with family members in this time. Yeah, we just had, it's good you mentioned that. We just had a discussion in our own house about the, the events and the, the tough times that the country's going through and trying to vision, vision things for other people's point of view mm-hmm. and processing all that. So you have COVID-19 and you have the social unrest and we also have a, a highly contentious election coming up. Yeah. So yeah, 2020 is not going down as everybody's favorite year. That's for sure. No, I think we're ready for 2021, which uh, that's, uh, yeah, we, we need to speed up the process. And so some of us want to go to sleep and then it's 2021, January 1st. Um, well, this is, if this is the process we have to go to, to to make necessary changes, then then so be it. Yeah, right. I agree. Um, so yeah, let's dive in. I, I'd, I'd love to dive into the financial space. Uh, there's been a lot that's transpired over just the past three and a half months with really most of 2020 when the Chinese market started to kind of fall towards the first part of the year, um, you know, kind of diving into that a little bit, I'd love to ask you your thoughts. Um, I know it's, it's hard to ever see anything coming and, and, and what, how you work with your clients and strategize for their financial planning. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about that experience, how you worked with your clients at that period and just that whole wave that happened kind of that first part of March and how, you know, you strategize and obviously worked with your clients. Sure. And I will back it up uh, to give a slightly longer answer on that, because when you're an investor, you always want to take the long-term view. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're buying stuff for it to appreciate over time. So you get that long-term gain from the investment. So when you really kind of think of our last big financial crisis, 2007, 2009, housing market falls apart, uh, interest rates go to zero back then. Uh, from the March 9th, 2009 lows, Pretty much we went into a straight line up until the end of 2018. There were some hiccups in there, and, mm-hmm. but for the most part, anybody that started investing during that time 
has not really seen a sell-off of significance. And so that experience, you know, for those of, I started when I was 16, that was more my parents doing than me, uh, but they're like, hey, you should start. And I'm like, okay, I'll start. And started learning a little bit. So I saw, you know, 1987, I saw 2000s, uh, you know, through the global recession. So I had kind of, I, I know markets can do this, but a lot of people did not know markets could do this because they just hadn't seen it. And the, it was pretty much a straight up market to December of 2018 which there were a few things going on, but the most major thing that moved the market was the Federal Reserve was trying to raise interest rates to kind of get back to normal. That did not work. Uh, almost 20% of, of a loss in December of 2018, which took the, all of 2018 for into the negative for the most part. And then that also led to 2019 being this huge recovery to where the market was up almost 30%. So it's really been a great ride for a decade for most folks. So that leads us into, into, into 2020, where we know there's an election. So what was I talking about on January 1st to 2020 to my clients is, hey, let's temper some expectations. Coming out of 2019, we just had a 30-point gain. We should be happy with that. Uh, this may not be an up year because we have a big election coming up. And with a particular pres president being a little bit divisive, it tends to countries are divided anyway going into elections, but I think we may be more divided than ever. Um, and that was back in January uh, before we actually were faced with some, some more difficult challenges on top of that. So the, the really storyline was trade tensions with China, kind of President Trump uh, tightening the screws to China. Uh, and that led to some, some hiccups in the market, if you will. Uh, it started down pretty much mid-February, if you think, February 23rd, I think, was kind of the exact high. And there was talk of COVID back then. I don't have the exact dates, but there was some talk of this and what's going on in Wuhan and places that I had not heard of before. And it's like, well, I should probably look into that a little bit more. And right. then if you remember, it was the big unknown as to is this the flu? Is this no big deal? Is everybody overreacting? Are we underreacting? And you know, d despite everybody's qualifications on Facebook, um, <laughs> you know, everybody seems to be an expert of knowing exactly what's going on. Yeah. But how, how that relates to the markets, and then I'll take it to how it relates to clients, is the markets don't like uncertainty. Uh, markets can handle bad news. I mean, like really bad news. But if there's some logical flow to the bad news and it's somewhat expected, like, hey, we're going to end up in a recession. Uh, yeah, we're going to end up in a recession. So it didn't surprise the market. So when you saw the market in March start that fall, it was really repricing in all of that unknown stuff to, you know, basically sold off 35%. So a third of your portfolio, if you were sitting there doing nothing and buy and hold is a perfectly good strategy. Many people do, uh, especially if you do it on your own, you're probably better off being buy and hold. Uh, but uh, with a move like that, people got to see some big numbers that they were used to seeing increase every year start decreasing and decrease in a big way. And all the talk of, you know, hey, we should go into bonds from 2018 and 2019 started to seem a little bit like, yeah, that might have been a pretty good idea. But it, it took everything down. It took bonds, gold. I mean, there was really generally in a diversified market, something's going up. It didn't. I have uh, retirees that were facing something they never thought they would face and with a diversified portfolio, and that's everything going down. So it was kind of scary for folks. So it's one thing dealing with uncertainty, um, 
the younger folks, generally it was the, I treat it like a roller coaster when it, when the time to get off the coaster is at the top. So you start hearing a bunch of bad news. It's like, okay, everybody's having fun while the coaster's going up. Coaster starts going down. It's like, oh, I don't like this. Maybe I need to get off. Um, so you sell some off and then the rest you kind of have to take the ride uh, with, which is easier for the folks that are still in the workforce. It's the folks that aren't in the workforce that pretty much got spooked quite a bit uh, about how far is this thing going to fall. And of course, when you're in the midst of it, it looks like it's going to fall to zero and the world's going right. to come apart. Uh, it turns out to be a buying opportunity. So there's the other side that there's it's like, hey, is it time to buy yet? It's like, no, it's not time to buy yet. Uh, we just kind of need to hold on and see how this goes for a while. Uh, but emotions were all over the board. There were some folks that said this is a buying opportunity of a decade and others that were like, I just want to go to cash because I don't like the, the uncertainty of it all. That's interesting too. I mean, there's, there's different ways you can handle this and, and, you know, go into it, but how do you, how do you navigate that with your clients and, and say there's a, a point in time where they're, you know, like we had in March, um, it's hard to call the market. It's hard to call the bottom, hard to call the top. Um, but how do you, what type of uh, strategies or suggestions do you offer to them in those moments? Well, sure. For everybody, when I first talk and talk to them about their relationship with money, it is some um, kind of getting inside their minds of, are they trying to get rich? Like I want millions or are they trying to have enough to take care of their family or for their lifetime, or are they trying to get enough to where they can step away from a job that they either do or don't like, but they want the freedom to not have to work anymore and then try to spend every last dime so they end up at zero uh, <laughs> at the last second. So everybody has a little bit different objective. So I like to, of course, I want to hear what the client says first because it's, it's their life and I'm helping them, not trying to force what I think I should do or what I'm trying to do financially. But with, uh, with everybody, I say there's basically three levels or there's three different uh, things you're trying to do with money. And the first one is capital appreciation, which is making money, basically, is what most people are doing. And they're trying to get to that point for whatever, whatever their end goal is takes a certain number. So they're trying to make it there. And then the second phase is once you've made it to whatever that number is, and it's different for everybody, but once you've made it, then it's capital appreciation, which means... I'm far more interested in holding on what I have than I'm trying to make more. So just using those two going into a contentious election, which is less than five months away. So that even though there's other things dominating the, the headlines right now, that's really what you need to think about with your portfolio is am I trying to hold through this buy a whole bunch lower if the market dips so I can benefit when it goes back higher or am I really interested in protecting what I have and preserving what I have? So that's it for most people. And then the third one is once you're in retirement, you're trying to use your portfolio to generate income. So it's income generation. So if you're in retirement phase and you're living off dividends and in income at 70, or I mean, you could do it at 40, but most people don't yeah. have they, they end up doing it in their, in their later years, it, you know, where they need that money coming in. So then you're investing folks differently. I'm not trying to put them into Facebook because it can double and triple in three years. I'm putting them in Exxon Mobil because it's an absolute, you know, pristine balance sheet company that's paying off a six and a half percent dividend that they can live off of. So it right. really depends on what people are trying to do with their money. And that can also change sometimes, but having, having that conversation ahead of time, is much better than having it when you're uh, in the roller coaster and 
looking looking down into the abyss that you can't tell where the bottom is, right? Yeah, knowing their goals and and helping them out and helping them succeed with with those goals, but obviously there's going to be hiccups like you mentioned. Um, so let's let's dive into some some stock news, I guess. Uh, I know that we're on Zoom, uh, probably one of the greatest six blue, chop, blue chip stocks success stories in uh, the past two or three months. Uh, explain, I guess, where you've seen uh, some growth in the market. Uh, we can start there um, and see, um, and then we can talk about the negatives, I guess, afterwards. But in, ter- in terms of like sectors, what sectors might be uh, performing better within the past three months? Sure. The, uh, I, I do have to touch upon the Zoom thing. So a couple of interesting stories there. Uh, Zoom is the ticker ZM. And there's another company, it's a pharmaceutical company that was already out there that had Z-O-O-M as the ticker. And they like tripled because people bought the wrong stock. So I thought that was Oh good. my gosh. They actually stopped that, stopped trading on, on Zoom, Z-O-O-M because of that, because there were so many people buying it thinking they wanted to take Take, you know, they watched CNBC and they saw, hey, Zoom's on the rise. But uh, what I think is funny, and I saw the Cisco CEO uh, talk about this last night on CNBC because they just released earnings. And the question the reporter had kind of asked is, say, you're really proud of your WebEx program. Uh, why is Zoom getting all the attention? And it kind of leads into who's ready to go at the moment of crisis more so than the quality of the product. And I will readily admit, I've, you know, we're on Zoom now. I use it almost every day. I have a license, so I pay them you know, a little bit for, for what makes my life easier, and I'm happy to do so. If I had it all to start over, I would use WebEx. It's just a better product. The, the um, Microsoft Teams, just a better product. But I didn't know. So when I went to the Internet years ago and said, I need, I need a tool to be able to do this. Zoom was the first thing I put my eyes on. So the, it was funny, the Cisco CEO was kind of complaining that he's like, well, when people are desperate, they're going to reach out for the first thing they can find and Zoom outmarketed us. So everybody's treating Zoom as this uh, end-all, be-all. And it's a quality product. I'm pleased with it. But I do think it's interesting how you can be in a situation where a better product can be out there, but just nobody knows about it. So little shout out for for zoom and their advertising <laughs> which i don't have any insight into it i just know it's everywhere yeah um, but, but when you think of investing sectors so traditionally when you say sectors in investing there's 11 specific sectors that are in the u.s uh that you can think about technology healthcare, finance really what was different going into a co- the covid 19 situation and the forced quarantine of whether you agreed with it or not doesn't matter, right? You're being told to stay home, so take keep your you know put your opinions on Facebook. But the the fact is, we are at home. So from an investment standpoint, you know, just like you know, people say crisis and opportunity, they usually gets attributed to in Chinese are the same thing, same symbol. That's not exactly true, but it's close. The storyline kind of holds. But sure, there's an opportunity from a business perspective, whether my business or anybody's, of hey, this is upon us. So we can whine and cry about it, or we can try to reorient, pivot, and do whatever we have to do to make the best of it and, you know, and thrive, if you will. So as soon as you get the, as soon as I was thinking, okay, work from home, it's like, man, these big companies are sending everybody home. It was the what names to get out of, 
because there are certainly you want to stop losses anytime you're investing. So it's more important to stop the losses. So you had to get out of the some of the retail sector names, had to get out of the big malls if you were in them. Uh, there were certain kind of no-brainers, casinos. It's like you had to get rid of them back at, at the early March. And because you, airlines, you know, all that stuff's going to fall when we stop traveling. But then you, you try to think as an investor, what's the world going to look like in three months, six months, 18 months, and what companies are positioned to thrive in that situation? Well, Facebook is one name we've mentioned a few times, and that became even more so than it was already an outlet for everybody. And of course, you know, Facebook in a very, to put it simply, they make most of their money from advertising and they're the best out there. They really are. I can be scrolling through and sometimes I don't even know I'm looking at an ad. It's so, <laughs> they're just there. So it works perfectly. Um, and so you think, okay, well, a lot, you know, ad budgets might be cut for the big companies, but for companies that can afford to, it's now time to advertise and take advantage of this big dip to rebrand and get out there with a theme and potentially pick up market share as the country starts to open. So Facebook was one name I thought of. Amazon was what I call it literally for the past two and a half months talked about the biggest no brainer in the world as far as investment is it's $2,500 a share. So I get it. You probably don't have that in your pocket, but in an account where you have, you know, 20,000 or so, it's still worth at least having that one share of Amazon. And of course the stock price has jumped and I don't really see an end to the uh, Amazon and the way it's really changed the world. Uh, there's users of Amazon that were before that, you know, maybe a couple things a week and gosh, it seems like we're ordering something every day now. And even my parents are, they're, the, they're in the mid eighties, right? So they're, they're ordering off Amazon. So it really kind of brought everybody into that, to that theme. Um, Zoom is a name that you're right. We talked about uh, another interesting name that I thought was funny, uh, I didn't think about this until I'm in my room, uh, I'm in my office, and my girls walk in and they're like, hey, we're going to Home Depot, do you need anything? And I'm like, why are you guys braving the virus to go to Home Depot? And they're like, well, we want to paint our rooms. And it made me think, everybody's around their house, you know, a little more wear and tear, but it's time for those home home projects that we haven't Maybe somebody has been asking you to fix something for some time. Well, now you actually have the time and you're at home to fix it. So Home Depot is another name and Lowe's, but Home Depot is a little better company um, from a management perspective. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that you want to get your money behind uh, when you're faced with a big change in environment. So. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense uh, to, to look at it that way. And it does it does actually just it seems like oh yeah this this is what you should do i mean this is kind of a no-brainer like you're saying but until you really sit down and think about it yeah there's there's been four or five trips i've made to home depot since this has happened probably just as many as going to the grocery store which i need for food to keep me alive <laughs> so yeah it's it's little things like that that you're like well I don't know what is the what's the right route. Well, just think of your life and how you're you're where you're spending your time. Companies like Netflix, even um, you know, consuming content, content creators that are on uh, connected TV platforms and all of that. Those are those are going to constantly grow. I mean, the ones that are doing their doing a good job. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting playing field of like where people are going to be spending their time, which. Um, categories are going to grow. Um, right. I, I'd like to ask you a little bit something too. Uh, we've discussed this in the past, but 
people have their blue chip stocks that they buy and people maybe have a Robinhood account or an E-Trade account and maybe do some stuff on their own. Um, obviously, what you do is on much, much, much higher level. So what do you, how do you recommend people utilizing those platforms um, in buying, say, you know, index funds or blue chip stocks um, and things they might believe in? And, you know, I was just thinking while we were talking, probably a couple things I should, you know, my disclaimer, I'm not uh, highlighting any specific company that you should buy. I don't know the situation. Uh, So you have to do your own due diligence before you make your own decision. So there's the disclaimer. Uh, And also one thing we were talking about, James, is individual stocks. And there's not, I, I don't know the exact percentage or even a rough percentage of the population that deals in individual stocks. It kind of started in the 80s. You had mutual funds, and then mutual funds started to go out of vogue towards the end 2000 or so as index funds came out as, you know, roughly a cheaper version of the same thing. That's not that's not exactly true. There are still great mutual funds out there that are worth the 1% fee you're paying. There are. Uh, but generally, most people would prefer to pay less of a fee and for something a little more efficient that's kind of the same. And then, of course, there's individual stocks, which are completely efficient. And what's interesting is when you, if you would go back and talk to your if your grandparents, if you're fortunate that they're still around, that's all anybody ever did back in the day was individual stocks. So people say individual, and you'll see on TV, and it's largely the large financial firms that are out there telling you, it's just like, hey, individual stocks are too risky. It's like really, so grandma could grandma could hang, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, right. They want you to go into these big funds, and even the index funds in mass make a killing for them. So they kind of—it's—it's it's almost insulting to me that they, you know, the we're smart, you're dumb, uh, pull your money together. They sell it under a diversification concept, which there's the piece to that. But where I use index funds is—I rarely use mutual funds, but for there are a couple out there. Uh, that I that I would use if somebody had them, I'd be like, hey, that's fine. That's been a long-term, fantastic, you know, the same manager for 30 years, that sort of mutual fund. Uh, for index funds is if I can't in a space find the best of breed uh, stock, then I will just buy the whole thing with buying the index fund. So the one thing that comes to mind is the, the video gaming um, space, if you will. Uh, you have your big names out there, your Electronic Arts, your Activision, your Take-Two Interactive. I don't know. I don't game. Uh, my kids don't game. So, you know, I could read articles till I'm blue in the face. I still really have nothing to where I can identify which one of those companies is the best. So uh, I look for an index fund that goes into gaming and esports. You know, now that they're filling stadiums and there's people actually betting on these things and there's big prize money, it's becoming its own thing. So how do you capitalize on that? Uh, so the investable theme there is there's money flowing into this space. So there's two index funds out there. One is ESPO, ESPO, which stands for esports, and the other one is Hero, just H-E-R-O, cute name. But yeah, it's a it's a way to invest in the whole space. Um, another example of that is marijuana. When you look at the investable theme of if you believe that marijuana is going to fall along the lines of alcohol and be legalized nationwide, if you believe that then you would want to try to invest in that theme somehow. And it's pretty tough with the names that are out there to really pick a best of breed or with Aurora Cannabis, uh, Canopy Growth, uh, MedMen. There are lots of names. So why not just take the whole space? And that way you can benefit from the move. You don't have to be right or wrong. 
Because the last thing, a, a, especially a beginning investor wants to do is they get the thesis right and say, okay, uh, I want to be in esports, and then they buy Take-Two Interactive, and that's the only one that gets chopped in half, <laughs> while the rest right. go in double and triple. It's like if you don't want that level of stress, then just take the index fund and, and be happy with the gains. You won't have the high fives that you might get at the cocktail party because your specific stock you know, tripled in three months, but uh, that's not the point of it. The point of it is to uh, accumulate wealth over time. Right. Unless you have the wealth already and can, you know, catch the wave, uh, so to speak. I, I discussed with you about Beyond Meat at one point. If somebody bought in at the beginning of that and put in, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, then they're doing really well. <laughs> but well, you, you, brought, you know, I did some research on Trade Desk, which is a name that I'm in, but I went back mm-hmm. and the, I, I'm, as an investor, you tend to look forward. I don't really care where the stock's been. And people are you know, constantly saying, well, I bought it at this price. And I'm like, well, that's right. I don't really care. Um, unless it's in a taxable account, then there's capital gains to worry about. But if it's in a retirement account, I don't care where you bought the stock because it's irrelevant. It's where it's going. And when you look at the gains in Trade Desk, um, IPO, it started uh, 2012, I believe. Uh, it IPO'd in 2018 at $18 a share. And it hit an all-time high of 356 a share yesterday. So you're talking almost a 2,000% gain in four years. So it's it's been it's been pretty uh, pretty amazing. And you're right. If you have the desire to be an individual stocks and you pick best of breed and you get right, you can have a gain like that. And, and it's really it's impressive when you see the numbers blow up in your <laughs> in your account. So it is. Um, I mean, that's that, that would, that'd be nice. <laughs> and that's when you start needing to probably have somebody to, to help you with that process. Um, with that said, yeah, you, you kind of entered into a, a discussion that I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast who are interested in the digital marketing space, advertising in general. Um, we all, I've been seeing market news out there that does show ad dollars have decreased during the quarantine. I mean, this is people are tight with their, like there's certain sectors, like you mentioned, retail is a big part of advertising dollars that unfortunately that industry has taken a big hit. Um, but as far as digital advertising goes uh, as a whole, people are still consuming content online. Um, you mentioned the trade desk. It's a programmatic DSP out there. One of the biggest ones, um, you know, as far as in the, in the States and, you know, buying programmatic advertising. Um, but even like the data partners and technology data is becoming keen. How do you see, um, you know, not, I know I hate to ever ask you to play Nostradamus and see that. Um, but as far as what you've seen in the past with data collection, data companies, and then digital advertising, um, you know, how, how, what do you think of that, you know, process and obviously where, um, you could see that going with even maybe AR or VR technology. Right. Uh, you bet. Touched on a lot of topics there. Uh, I will say that with your listening audience, I will not be the expert in digital media, probably the, uh, the dumbest guy in the room, if you will. But I will tell you what I see from an outside investor looking in, knowing I don't have that expertise. Uh, and that's interesting. Sometimes the having, e- having a lot of expertise in a particular area can actually be a disadvantage from an investing standpoint. You're like too close. Because you like, you see the genius of it all, and uh, folks are like, mm, no, actually, from the outside, I don't, I don't quite see that yet. Um, but yeah, I think you're right with the ad budgets. You would expect that they're they're easy to chop from a business perspective. Um, so either reduce or eliminate, uh, especially when they're 
companies out there looking to eliminate dividends, which is the last thing they want to do. So again, you're going to look for how can I reduce expenses? And you're right. That's going to be one of the, uh, the targets, but there's also, I like to say money's like water. Um, it has to go somewhere. So even though it can be dry now, it's positioning for that big slosh back in and the market's seen that in pretty much a V-shaped recovery from the March 23rd lows. Uh, so with the, you know, as things start to open up, I would imagine that in the ad space, you would see the same thing is it might look grim for a while and maybe people aren't answering the phone or talking to, uh, you know, account execs <laughs> trying to, to re-up what we have in place. That might be a little tough, but once you're back in the game, I think the aggressive companies are going to advertise and it's going to be a good place to be. Uh, specifically, Trade Desk, I think they are uniquely positioned to be able to be big enough to where they can handle, um, kind of like Facebook too, they can handle adversity. There's no concerns there. Uh, you know, billionaire founder that also helps, uh, and Jeff Green to where he can sit back and float it if he if he if he had to or wanted to, uh, which is good to have leadership in place that can that can pay the bills if the company's not. Um, and I don't have insight if that was the case for them, but they're they're so big I would not worry about them. But they're gonna they're gonna benefit from that long term. Um, when you think data as well, uh, one place that I invest heavily in is data centers, because you're right, uh, whether, and that was before COVID-19, but now that we're all, you know, not all at home, but now that there's more people working from home and taking their business files and everything up to the cloud with the secure requirements and everything that's involved to be able to actually have enterprise level security at your house, uh, which I was already familiar with and have already paid for. So... I kind of looked at who am I paying all these bills to to make sure that I'm a, a small bank in the upstairs of my house uh, in Round Rock to, you know, who's going to benefit from all that. And the, the data centers are popping up everywhere. So there's the people that buy the land, the real estate trusts for data centers that are benefiting. And then there's architects out there d designing data centers to be more efficient over time because the, the technology there is kind of just beginning. So whether it's stocks or bonds in that space, I think that's a, a good place to be. Uh, with the AR and the VR, that has been a, since you threw that in there at the end, that has been a challenging space to invest in uh, because everything, if you can go back, I believe, I'll, I'll guess 2014 or 2015 mm -hmm. was when Facebook bought Oculus and the Oculus Rift came out and everything was VR, VR, VR. And then, Life happens, and a game comes out, and I think it was Nintendo, uh, the Pokemon Go. Remember all the kids walking yep. around with zombies, and you're trying not to hit them with your car because they're just literally <laughs> walking around looking through their phones? Well, that's when I think there was an appreciation. Certainly, I heard Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg talk about it at a Facebook on a conference call, is that people actually are kind of nervous about the VR because you lose your situational awareness with the outside world. So then it was a big push towards augmented reality because that way I can see if somebody's about to hit me, right? So <laughs> you don't quite give up the complete control that you do in a VR scenario. I think both of those have fantastic applications. I think both of them still get overplayed in movies uh, all the time of where we're going. I don't know that we'll get there that fast, but um, kind of hard to invest in. 
So yeah. Facebook is kind of a closet play in that area since they own Oculus. And of course they have the budget to, to fund all the R and D to try to get it to where it's, it's more mainstream. And, you know, Google glass was another one that came out that kind of flopped uh, yeah. the, the glasses, but great idea. Not quite ready for prime time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it does take a while for things to develop. Uh, and like you said, the, all these R and D de- uh, departments are, are all in this sector, but who's going to be the victor? Who's going to really catch the wave the second time? Cause you know, right. like you said, there's already been kind of a initial, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. The watch is a, another one that I should have brought up with that is leading the future with a big company that's got the budget to, uh, to be able to make changes. And of course the Apple watch ties to healthcare. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the theme there. So it is. Uh, well, you know, I want to kind of end on asking you kind of a, a general question, which is um, somebody who's getting in to the finance space, um, somebody who's maybe in their mid 20s or somebody who is, well, it doesn't matter really, whatever, whatever age, and they're looking to invest or put some money. Um, first of all, I'd ask, you know, what are some things to avoid? Um, I know there's a lot of people in the industry that you can maybe you've heard of that maybe just, you know, try to promise too much. I don't know what not, but maybe first thing, what are maybe some things to try and avoid? And then secondly, um, what would you tell your, your, if anybody was coming to you and, and wanting to, to possibly throw some money in the market, um, what would you first tell them? Sure. Um, the, what I would say first is it kind of depends on you as a person. If you are a do it yourself or type person, then you're going to have to, you know, open, you know, whatever ad you see on TV is likely going to be the one that when it catches you in the moment of, you know, I've been thinking for three months, it's like, I should start investing. And then you see a Robin Hood ad. It's like, okay, done. Right. I'm going right now. I'm downloading the app. I'm getting my free share of stock. If I think that's who does that, you know, and, and get started. So it really is a get started process. It's much like starting a business. Folks think about it for, years. And then when they do it, they're like, I should have done this years ago. Um, same thing with investing, you know, you should. So well, let's just say you don't, if you don't ever invest, you're, you can be fine. You're just going to have to work a lot and yeah. the money is not working for you. You have to actually physically make it yourself. And then if you spend it, you have to make some more, you know? So it's the, the inertia that you gain with investing is you can still work and make money with your talent while your money's off making money, which is the important part, which goes back to the compound interest from eighth grade chart that I was talking about earlier. So it's kind of a get started thing. And that's when, you know, if you come up to me and you're 50 and it's just like, Hey, you know, and most people will lead in with the, I know I'm not where I should be, uh, but how do I need to get there? Then it's the, okay, here's all the things you need to do, which can be overwhelming, which I try not to overwhelm folks. I'm like, okay, well, there is a lot we'll need to talk about, but let's get started with this. And whether people do it on their own or they use an advisor is largely personal preference. Uh, I, I'm biased, but I can also say if I would have looked back in all those years I did it myself, if I had a capable advisor, I'd be a lot better off now. The downside of that is if you have a crappy advisor, you can be in the hurt locker, right? So you really have to be careful with, you know, if you're going to bring a money person into your life, it's the same type as, you know, a, a doctor, a lawyer, priest. I mean, you need somebody that you can trust. They're going to end up knowing your deep, dark inner secrets uh, from a financial perspective, uh, which may not be pretty. And you may make, 
you know, you may be embarrassed about it. The financial person won't care. They have literally seen it all. So they're just yeah. trying to take from, from where you are to where you want to go and, and help you get there or reshape expectations possibly. Uh, well, uh, that, that, we're, the path we're on isn't going to get us there. So it, it's a little bit cliche to say just to get started, but it really is. And know just like anything, when you whatever your trade is, your or day one on a job is not going to be your best day. You're going to make mistakes. So if you're a do-it-yourselfer, get on Robinhood, uh, go to Vanguard, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, whoever you want, Trade Station. Um, go in there, buy some stuff, and see what happens. Try to use your brain that you know to, to make smart picks and go from there. Um, if you go with an advisor, I would always recommend interviewing at least three. And you have to find somebody that you trust. Uh, trust is the number one thing, because otherwise it's just never going to work if you're going to second guess, second guess your advisor. So, oh, that's great advice. Um, you know, that's the same with anybody looking to do business with anybody. <laughs> trust is the uh, is the number one factor, whether you're wanting to get in partnership or business with another person, or or hey, just spend money at some place. Um, you know, and then the the other part of that is. Sometimes if you're a do-it-yourselfer, the numbers can get kind of big on you, if, especially if you've been investing for years and you're you know, getting close to having a seven-digit portfolio. Well, now to have a 10% loss or a 20% oops uh, is a significant move where it's not when you're younger. So it does, it, it's best if you can start when you're younger, if you, have, you know, if you take the time to do that. So you have time to make some mistakes and learn, and then you can be that much better going forward. Or you can simply just pay pay somebody for it. But if you are paying somebody, make sure you know exactly what you're paying. Uh, they should be a fiduciary, which means they have to buy law, act in your best interest, which most independents are. Anybody with a certified financial planner designation is a fiduciary. So that's the gold standard. That kind of keeps you safe. Um, there's other good people out there that don't have that. Um, if, were, if folks are trying to sell you something, like an insurance product or a mutual fund, that's more selling than it is actual advising. So mm -hmm. just no, this is all good good advice. Well, um, I'd love to to end on on what how you're spending your time <laughs> with your kids or whatnot. Um, is there anything that y'all have uh, that's been keeping you uh, well occupied? <laughs> well, sure. The uh, for those that know me personally, both my girls are kind of tall. I'm six five, uh, so they're. My my youngest is is five or my oldest is five ten and youngest is five seven, so they got into volleyball at an early age. We've traveled all over the U.S. to play. I'm going with my oldest next year to Australia to play on an Americans team thing, so they're really into volleyball. So we are literally our lives before COVID nineteen was work during the week. You know, taxi cab them because nobody can drive yet. So taxi cab around to get them to volleyball practice. And on the weekends, we would go sit in the gym for 12 hours. And the interesting perspective that you can gain sometimes uh, through life experience is we would complain about that. And now since everything's been canceled, we really honestly, you realize how much you miss sitting there in these little tiny bleacher chairs, watching your kids play all the time and how inconvenienced you were by having to travel around to, to, <laughs> to watch them. Uh, yeah, we really miss that. But that's starting to spin back up. Uh, the When the gyms open, when um, Governor Abbott said gyms can open, that's when the athletic clubs started to open. So for those of us with kids involved in sports, our lives are starting to get more back to normal. They can have some practices, uh, not necessarily full up in all things. 
but uh, it's really been it's been fun for the girls to to you know kind of like realize they miss volleyball too because they can get so involved in it sometimes where they're not enjoying it anymore and really look forward to going back and 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 getting back into school and club volleyball so that's predominantly that's, what we do with our time that's amazing and on, honestly it sounds like uh they watched top gun a few times the volleyball scene you, i'm sure do you oil up every now and then and get out there that's uh you know whenever you bring up top gun there there's you're always the great risk of the the first impression people have is like so you used to play volleyball in your jeans huh it's like well <laughs> no i didn't and no nor am i uh, i'm not a friend with the sun either being fairly light-skinned so i didn't spend <laughs> much time uh out on the, the volleyball court but i did the fast cars and motorcycles part of it in, instead so but yeah that's hey. funny everybody everybody brings up the volleyball scene you couldn't get away from a volleyball scene in a movie now. People would be like, well, that's the dumbest thing. No, no, not at all. And it, it, it's uh, it's definitely one of those classic uh, tropes, I guess, the slow-mo. It will be interesting to see how much cheesiness Top Gun 2 brings out. Or if yeah, they're I mean, all behind. I mean, Tom Cruise is uh, not young anymore. So the fact that he's still flying airplanes is kind of funny from, I mean, I haven't flown a high-performance airplane in 10 years. And I was old. I was on the old side then. So let alone somebody flying up in the late 50s or 60s or however old he is in the movie. Yeah, he's insane. I think he still he still jumps out of planes at a, and you know does his does his own stunts or whatnot. So um, not to say a lot of it's CGI. We all know that, but um, still kind of crazy for an actor to be <laughs> partaking in all that. Right. But I can't wait for the movie. It should be good. It, it'll be interesting for those of us that flew for a living. It's kind of like I hope they don't mess it up. Yeah, I know. That's always a fear. Well, Steve, we really do appreciate you joining us here on the queue. Um, tell people where they can find you uh, if, on a website. I know you're Afterburner Financial, um, and, and then we can get out of here. Yeah, you bet, James. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Uh, for anybody that's interested in reaching out, you can go to afterburner-financial.com. And it's got all my contact information on there. I do free consultations. So if you have questions on something, just reach out through the website and we'd love to chat with you. Awesome. All right. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all their digital marketing needs, whether it's CTV, OTT, location-based mobile device ID targeting, search engine marketing, targeted display, any research and data that you need, whatever it is, Q1 Media can help with your marketing efforts. Please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's q1media.com. You can view case studies, examples of our work, uh, or just check out more episodes of the podcast, The Q, Conversations in Digital Media.